So I want to welcome you to our uh, Partners with Purpose. Uh, we're going through the Art of Marriage. Uh, last week we had a sign-up sheet that finally went around. I forgot to uh, pass that thing around the first couple of weeks. So is there anyone who hasn't uh, signed up on the um, on the sign-up sheet? And basically, if you don't have your, uh, I think we've got a couple over here. Uh, if uh, your email address is in the church system, you don't need to put it on there. But if your email address is not in the church system, if you could just kind of go ahead and write it uh, next to your name, uh, that would be uh, helpful. Our remaining schedule is is that we'll be meeting uh, next week. Or excuse me, this is our last week. Okay, it's kind of flown by. This is our fourth week, and we're going to be meeting every time that uh, we have the uh, new members. Uh, classes in that. So our next time that we'll meet will be in July. So just to let you know of that. Um, so this will be our last week for uh, the Art of Marriage. Uh, in July, we'll do sessions four through six and we'll finish finish the series up. Does everyone have a book? I know there's a few new people that are here. We have books. If you just want to raise your hand, I'd like for each couple to have their own book. And just with my wife going through the book, um, I can see why they want there to be two books, uh, uh, one for each of you, because we end up writing our own little notes in there, uh, in our own sections, and it's just kind of good. We've got a number of uh, individuals over here, Jeremy, that uh, still need books right here. Uh, those books are uh, $10. You can pay them whenever. If you can't afford it, just let me know. No big deal. We just want to make sure that uh, you have one of those books. And I'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the content that we're getting uh, in the books. Uh, for the last uh, three weeks, uh, we have a, a section now under the audio on our church website that uh, that has each of our sessions that we had in there. Uh, the first week, I just kind of went through an introduction that we had for the Partners with Purpose uh, Ministry in all the different areas and topics that we look to cover uh, in the coming years. So if you if you did not hear that, I would really encourage you to go out there and listen to that. Uh, we had some uh, key information for that that really kind of set up this ministry uh, for the future. So if you haven't listened to the first introduction, introductory um, session, I would encourage you to do that. And then all of our sessions uh, going through the Art of Marriage is going to be on there as well. Okay, uh, pastors mentioned about the uh, ch- uh, the family camp. We have our last <laughs> video on family camp. I know all of you are getting really jazzed up about family camp, and he's got more information to come. So uh, we've got one more video, and then uh, we'll kind of get things going. So, fellas. <laughs> all right, family. We're going to go late. Right. Family photo. All right, three, two, one, everybody smile.
Okay, there'll be more information on costs and such, and um, they'll be getting that out to you soon. What I'd like to do is, before we uh, go into our session, it's um, it's on the DVD, but I'd just like to kind of give a review. I'd like to kind of review uh, before we get into our uh, into our next uh, material. But uh, one thing, a couple of things that we learned, a couple of key things that we learned from session one is is that our spouses are given as a gift uh, to us from God. So. Um, uh, We've been given a gift from God in our spouses. And also, God has given us, he's created us different. So we have some differences uh, that we have that we bring to the marriage. And uh, with that is that we, with those differences, we end up complementing one another. That's God's design is that we complement one another. And then it completes us. We fill in the gaps with each other. And you've heard it that, um, um, that, uh, Spouses, uh, generally opposites attract, and that's true in marriage. And we see those differences that we have. I mean, with my wife and I, we've got some uh, very distinct differences, but God has designed it that way, and that we complement one another and we fill in the gaps. So that is a good thing. And that should draw us together, and we should live happily ever after. And But does that happen? <laughs> and we saw in uh, session two where sin had entered the world, and Adam and Eve, they sinned. And it says in Genesis 3 that there was uh, enmity uh, between the man and the woman. And enmity uh, means uh, active opposition and hostility towards someone. So that's a very strong term, enmity, uh, between um, spouses. 
And with that is we see that we don't appreciate, we don't necessarily always appreciate those differences that we have with one another. So when what ends up happening? So we end up competing with one another at times. There's struggles, there's power struggles. We're not on the same page. Uh, also, uh, we end up treating our spouse as the enemy. It, so it ends up getting to where we there could be resentment and that we are uh, competing against um, one another and treating each other as the enemy. And also when we're not fulfilling our roles in marriage, we're not on the same page. There's not that oneness. And that's what sin has done. Um, it has disturbed uh, that, uh, that we don't appreciate our differences and we're not fulfilling our, our biblical roles in, in marriage. So what it does is it ends up, and if we're not, if we don't acknowledge that, it ends up pushing us apart until finally we have isolation. And any time that there's isolation, I can speak for men because I work with men. When when men are isolated and we're by ourselves, um, that is a very dangerous thing. And it's a very dangerous thing for our marriages as well as we're pushed apart and we're isolated. And basically, we have our own agendas at that point. So we're not on the same page. There's not oneness where we're working together. We're glorifying God in our marriage and that we are living out our biblical roles for him and glorifying him. So there's this danger period, and that's what we want to be able to alleviate. And we saw this last week. We saw Dave and Ann, and I just, um, you know, I appreciated that, what they had to say. And they were rating their marriages, and Dave was pretty high on their marriage. Uh, he was a very busy guy, and he gave his marriage uh, it was a, either a 9.8 or a 10 out of a scale 1 to 10. So that's pretty high. Well, then they asked Ann, Ann, how do you rate your marriage? And she gave it a 1.0 or a 0.5 or a half. Okay, so there was quite a bit of difference between where they thought their marriages were. And obviously there were different things that led to why there was this separation uh, in their marriage. So what is it that causes our marital conflicts? I mean, any of you have been married for any period of time, you've gotten past the honeymoon uh, stage in your marriage, you understand there is conflict. But the, the source of our conflict, as we saw in Genesis 3, is our sin. And we learned last week that we've got to be able to confess our sin, name it, claim it. It's our sin. We need to be able to go to our Father and ask for forgiveness for that, be reconciled to Him. That's the primary relationship. And then also on a horizontal plane as well, is that we go to our spouse and we have to ask for forgiveness. And quite frankly, after 34 years, I still have to continue to go to my spouse and ask her to forgive me for sinful things that I've done, things that I've said that were just uh, sinful. So we have to get into the habit of doing this, of being reconciled to our Father, who is our primary relationship, and then certainly with our spouses to be able to, to do that. And sin affects um, all of our marriages. But this week we're going to go. We're going to learn about our individual roles in marriage. And if we don't fulfill our individual roles as God has intended for us in our marriage, we will continue to suffer conflict in our marriages. So this is very important. We have a number of questions that we'd like to kind of process and work through 
after um, our presentation here, and I hope to have some very good discussion because it's very important uh, material that we're going going over. Sexy. Submissive? <laughs> Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> Big bone strapping man. He'll be tall. Preferably with money. <laughs> Brazilian. <laughs> I have to go to the gym, which I forgave you for. But... What would they look like? I don't care. For our first date, I thought I saw her on the corner with a fur coat. And I was like, I'm out. I, it, but it wasn't it me. It wasn't her. It was me. So somebody who will let me win at Scrabble, um, sometimes at least. And maybe he likes marshmallows, too. Those are always important. The perfect woman. My wife of 40 years. She's beautiful and sexy. So you're supposed to say, you, you're the perfect one. Oh. A perfect man. A good, hard, honest, working man. That's what I describe perfectly. Amen, sister. Uh, intelligent, loving, caring, loyal. Ambitious, loving, forgiving of my craziness. The perfect man is kind, um, funny, and uh, compassionate. Not someone that I need, but someone that would add to my life. Their happiness is more important to you than your happiness. He's a good, hard-working man. He's going to keep me working hard, motivated, and everything. My energy is, I get my energy from him. Somebody who is patient and has a nice demeanor and good sense of humor. They just, they make everything better. Yeah, that's great. Everything you do is better. That's a great way to put it. My wife is the perfect woman, and that's because... Um, she's everything that she said that a man should be. A faithful Christian man. I think the ideal would actually be something indescribable. There is no such thing. If there was ever an ideal man, he would only accept the ideal woman, so they'd never find each yeah. other. So. It would just be those two wandering around yeah. looking for each other. One of my biggest concerns about what's taking place in our culture today is that we're allowing the world to create a gender blender when it comes to the roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives in the marriage relationship. Husband-wife relationships, I find today uh, young couples are coming from some pretty jumbled up ideas. And uh, the idea of 50-50 the idea of, you know, a complete selfishness of I'm going to have my career, I'm going to have 
in my career, we're going to do our thing. These parallel tracks will cross from time to time in life. Um, unfortunately, you can't do it. You know, we, we often say a person that says, I'll meet you halfway is a poor judge of distance. There's no way you can have a 50-50 relationship. There's no equality in this thing. To die to self requires a completely different mindset for marriage. And I think this is what contributes to most yeah, most marriages failing. When two people are on a horse, one of them has to be in front. One of them has to have the reins. Now, it doesn't mean that the other one can't reach around and also hold the reins as well. But you know what? One has to ultimately be the go-to person in tiebreakers to decide which way we go. And when you're on a horse, one person wants to go one way, the other person wants to go the other. That's not a picture of oneness. The world's view of equal thing, everybody's got the same thing, is it's really, it's unfortunate. We have equal value, but we have distinct roles. You know, it's interesting that in a biblical perspective, the commitments that are made to each other are the same. Uh, the, the commitment, first of all, to monogamous marriage, uh, to uh, holding each uh, to the other, uh, that, that's equal, that's the same. But you notice there's an immediate distinction. There's a distinction in Genesis 2. It's Adam who names Eve, uh, even as Adam named the animals. Now, his relationship to Eve is not the same as his relationship to the animals, but there is still a, a, an issue here in which it's uh, it's Adam that names Eve. Eve does not name Adam. Christensen said, uh, God did not take uh, the woman from Adam's head that she should rule over him, nor from his feet that he should trample her, but from his side to be beside him underneath his arm to receive his protection and his love. You know, if I'm talking to a young man who's about to be married or is newly married, um, I would say to him as plainly as I could, your charge, your duty is to love your wife. The way that you will have a blessed marriage is just to give. Your assignment as a husband is to deny yourself and love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's a lifetime assignment. It's one that demands um, numerous efforts and undoubtedly many failures. But your assignment is to love your wife because that's the woman God gave you and that's your responsibility as a husband to uh, nourish and cherish her. And so, if I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church, that means I've got to know her. I've got to pay attention to her. I've got to nurture her. I've got to deposit in her life more than I withdraw from her life. I've got I've to make sure that I'm lovingly coming alongside of her and helping her to fill in the gaps and the deficits that she feels. And that's my role. I think that Ephesians 5.23 also says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And that word head, as I've published 133 pages of scholarly articles about that Greek word kephale, meaning head, uh, it means one in authority, one who has the responsibility to take the primary leadership role in the marriage. That should never be done harshly. Um, it should be done with full respect for your wife's equality in the image of God. But it's a responsibility that falls to you. 
is the husband who just like he looks at his favorite sports team and says that, oh, I know that, that they need a new point guard or they need a new quarterback next year to be successful or they need to do this and that. And he's always assessing his marriage and his family saying, this is what we need. And he'll sacrifice to do it. There is a burden of initiative that he needs to take up that should be reflected in the way that he leads in the home. That when certain decisions need to be made, he's not just making the decisions, he's creating a process where appropriate, his wife is being drawn in, counsel is being solicited, but he he fundamentally has a responsibility to to move things forward. Headship in scripture is not woman get me my chips. Nor is godly Christian headship, beloved wife, please get me my chips and then let's pray. Headship is self-crucifixion for the sake of the other. Servant leadership doesn't mean that your wife is happy with the decision. Servant leadership means that your wife, 20 years from now, is happy with the decision. A man is to be a strategic thinker to say what is going to be in the best interest of my wife and how do I disciple my wife and children toward that end. And the husband can make that hard or easy. So I would tell any man in front of me who feels like his wife isn't submitting to him, I say, are you loving her the way Christ has loved the church? Do that and you will make what is hard for her to do easier. My role is not to be domineering with Karen. My role is not to act like some little snotty nose, sawed off Caesar that's so insecure that I got to shout. That's not biblical leadership. But my role is to live to make her great to empower her in such a way that her sails are always full of fresh air. Phoenix, Arizona is home to Dr. Wayne Grudem and his wife, Margaret. Since 2001, Dr. Grudem has served on the faculty at Phoenix Seminary. Prior to that, for 20 years, Dr. Grudem chaired the Department of Biblical and Systematic Theology at the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in suburban Chicago. He has helped translate the English Standard Version of the Bible, and his systematic theology has sold more than 300,000 copies worldwide. There's probably no theologian alive today who has looked as carefully at what the Bible has to say about roles in marriage. Wayne and Margaret Grudem were married while Wayne was still a senior at Harvard. After he completed his doctoral work at Cambridge, the Grudems moved from England to Minnesota and then four years later to Chicago to work at Trinity. It was while they were living in Chicago that Margaret Grudem was in a serious car accident. I was in the hospital for a couple days and about three months later just had chronic pain. There was uh, a lot of just um, trauma to Margaret's various muscle groups. Um, and we didn't know there was a solution. A number of years after that, some friends said if we ever wanted to use their second house in the Phoenix area, uh, they'd be happy to let us use it. And Well, when you're in the snowdrifts in Illinois, you say, oh, that sounds very <laughs> interesting. So we did. We came out here, and Margaret felt better. Mm-hmm. And we came back again, and she felt better. That Illinois climate was really hard on her and this dry warm climate here in the Phoenix area was helping her a lot. Margaret was looking in the yellow pages. <laughs> she said, 
Oh, Wayne, there's something here called uh, Phoenix Seminary. We drove over to Scottsdale to see it, and, and we looked around, and I said to Margaret, mm-hmm. I, I have more books than this. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a, a tiny library, and I think it had three full-time faculty mm-hmm. members then, under 200 students. It, it was a seminary, but uh, not very well established and not large. At a, at a very crucial day in this decision-making process, in, in my regular reading through the Bible, I came to Ephesians 5, and, and I came to this passage where it says, uh, Ephesians 5:28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. I said, Margaret, you know, if I felt the kind of pain that you are feeling, do you think that I would move to a different climate for the mm-hmm. sake of my own body? And she just laughed like it would take me a minute to make that decision. I did not want Wayne to move because I felt like the Lord was really blessing him where he was. And I just had a strong sense that when God is blessing you in a ministry, you shouldn't leave for health reasons. One day we were out walking around our neighborhood in Libertyville, Illinois. Margaret, out of the blue, said, Wayne, I've decided what I think about going to Phoenix Seminary. <laughs> I said, oh, that's good because I, I wanted to know what you know she finally thought was the right thing. And she said, I've decided that you have to make the decision. <laughs> I felt the heavy responsibility then. She wasn't going to share in the responsibility for the decision in a way. But it, it also felt right to me. It felt that she was deferring to my leadership as uh, head of the home. <laughs> Wayne, Wayne, has, Wayne has really blessed me in showing his love for me sacrificially. And the Lord has brought great blessing to both of us here. Um, just in terms of relationships and Wayne's writing and speaking. It's been busier here than it was even at Trinity. I've grown in my ability to listen to Margaret and have grown in my immense respect for her wisdom, insight, understanding mm-hmm. of me, uh, knowledge of the Lord and the Lord's will. I just have immense uh, respect for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. constantly now there are questions about Do I accept this invitation to speak here, to teach there? The first thing I want to know is, uh, Margaret, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. And and then we both pray about it and seek God's help. But I I respect her (laughs) her wisdom and insight immensely. years ago for Christmas, our adult children gave my husband and me, Dennis and I, dancing lessons. And I have to tell you, I was absolutely thrilled. My eyes lit up and I went, oh, how fun, dancing lessons. And Dennis kind of looked at it and he had this real skeptical look on his face. What was so fascinating about this is that I thought that I was the one who was really had this down because I used to love to dance. But I married someone who has two left feet. 
And we never did much dancing, except for once on our honeymoon, we did one of those rock, back and forth, slow dances. And that was it. So we went to our first class, and the very first thing the instructor said to us, she said, rhythm is learned. And I thought, really? I don't think so. One of the examples that she had us practice was for the women to follow the man's lead by closing our eyes. So closing my eyes, I had to rely on feeling the movement that he initiated. I had to pay attention to that feeling and respond to that initiation of direction. And I was trying to influence his direction a lot more than I thought I was because I thought I was smarter in dancing than he was. I realized by doing that that I wasn't really following like I thought I was. I was really trying to help him lead all this time. And I think I'm like a lot of women. We kind of like to be in charge and we kind of like to know where we're going. And, you know, I don't think following is ever easy in any marriage. Um, and I don't think it's dependent on the strength of the husband. And I am married to a very strong man. But he likes to say that he married a very strong woman. And he's right. And so that strength often is in competition, mine against his. And following is, um, is an art form. Uh, dance is an art form. And you have to really be in sync in order to dance well. It takes years of practice, years of work, years of interacting as a husband and a wife to perfect that relationship of him being the leader and me being the follower. It's not always pleasant because we're pulling at each other. He's pulling one way, I'm pulling the other way. And I may not want that particular move in the dance when he suggests it or when he sort of leads this way. I may not be quite ready for a twirl or a turn or something like that. But in those times in our marriage, we, we have to up the communication we have to raise the level of engagement between us so that I understand why he's wanting to go one way and he's understanding why I want to go another way. And we always work to come to a compromise or to come to an agreement. But it works. If I follow, it works. You know, the role of being a helper as a wife is, is really a wonderful position um, and there are so many nuances to it that make it really a beautiful role. Um, but there, ha there are lots of times when I, as a woman, wish that wasn't what I was supposed to do. Um, I really like to lead, frankly. One of the ways that she glorifies God, that she exalts God in her life and in her marriage, is by, is by manifesting a, a willing followership of her husband's leadership. And uh, not just in a mindless way, but in a vigorous, robust, feminine way that, that really comes alongside of him as a partner, but also recognizes that there's one in this marriage that's responsible to provide leadership, and, uh, and that's not me. I can follow with a crummy attitude, and it's just not going to work so well. We may get in the car and go where he wants to go, but it's not going to be pleasant because my heart's not right. I can help with a crummy attitude and be miserable in the process. So I've learned over the years that it really boils down to me having a heart that understands and appreciates and is willing to follow God's plan for marriage because really the way he has it set up is best. And I know that, but in my heart, I don't always like it. And it's in the times when I don't like it that it's not very much fun. 
Ephesians 5.33, Paul commands wives to respect their husbands. I don't personally think there is a more powerful attitude that a wife can have toward her husband than respect. I have three sons, and one thing that we like to do as a family is eat pizza. And we pretty much order it the same way. We order pepperoni pizza with extra sauce. And uh, my husband has the responsibility of calling in and ordering the pizza. Well, for years, I would always have to remind him, don't forget to ask for the extra sauce. We hopped in the car with our three boys. They were 8 to 12 at that point. Drove to the pizza place. Bruce went in to get the pizza, and he came out with two boxes. And on top of the boxes, there were these two containers of sauce. I said, oh, I see that you forgot to ask for the extra sauce again. And from the very back of the car, our eight-year-old pipes up and says, you idiot. I was stunned. I couldn't believe that he was calling Bruce an idiot. We never called each other names. I never let the boys call each other names, and I never, ever called Bruce an idiot. But I didn't have to because the boys knew exactly what I meant by my tone of voice. Proverbs tells women that the wise woman will build up her house, but the foolish one with her own hands tears it down. And I think own hands and own words sometimes could be could be kind of parallel there that we we tear it down with our mouths and we can tear down our husbands just boom like that with the word. And yet we if I encourage him and love him and speak blessing into his life, it's like he goes out and faces the day stronger and more able and more capable and um, more godly. And, and, and I have a powerful influence, and women have powerful influence in the lives of their men. I think it's a wise woman who would make a list of what four or five things really communicate respect to her husband. And make that list, practically work it out, and talk about, as a couple, how, um, how she can really demonstrate that respect to her husband in tangible, powerful ways. I was a cheerleader in high school, but we cheered for a team that was a pretty stinky team. We never won a game. But every time I went out, I cheered to the top of my lungs. You got to want it, to win it. So do it, do it, do it, do it. Yeah, we would cheer our team on. The day you put on your wedding dress, you put on a new cheerleader outfit. You're cheering for your family team. We have gotten to a place where we have forgotten to cheer for our team because they've experienced some losses. We cheer for our team even when they're down and that's the same thing we must do for our new family team. It was very early in my marriage that it dawned on me how important it was for me to be building him up and for how important it was for me to be encouraging him and being his champion. And even in his brokenness, even in his sin, even when he made mistakes, to to address those issues in a manner in which just encouraged him and affirmed just uh, what the work that God was doing in his life and affirmed just just that I believed he was a good man. 
I was probably eight months pregnant, and uh, my husband and I were supposed to be going to his his brother's graduation, and he was driving too fast, in my opinion, and I was not happy, and. He uh, and then I had forgotten the graduation tickets, and we had to go back home. And he was not happy, and so we were both not in very good moods. And uh, and by the time we reached our home to pick up the tickets, I, I had had it. That was it. I was, you know, I was not happy with him, and he was not happy with me. And I stormed into the house, got the graduation tickets, threw them into the car, and said, "You're going without me." And at that point in time, he said, "Mary, get into the car." And um, I was like, he's giving me an order. (laughs) And I crossed my arms and I said, no. And he said, Mary, get into the car. And I remember at that particular point, and that was a real crisis moment for me, because at that point, the Holy Spirit started like this in my ear and convicting me. And I remember having this discussion with God going on in my head and in my heart and knowing that, yes, the Bible says that wives are to submit to their husbands. And Brent is being totally unreasonable at this moment. He's being totally unloving at this moment. I am totally right, and he is totally wrong, and yet am I going to get into the car? And uh, uh, it was was one of those moments where it really did define the path that I was going to take for the rest of my marriage and for the rest, really, of my life. I finally said, okay, God, that's it. All right, yes, I will obey you, and got around, got in the car, and and turned to Brent and said, I hope you know that I'm doing this for God and not you. (laughs) Submitting in Scripture isn't agreeing to those things with which one agrees. That's not submission. That's agreement. Submission means following leadership, including in areas in which you would say, I actually know better how to do this than he does. Even though I am a very strong woman and very opinionated and very intentional and, and, and strong-willed at times, it really – the Lord draws out who I am. He doesn't violate my personality. And submission doesn't violate my personality as a woman. And this is the thing. I think that, that as we are more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ – we discover that that responsiveness as women feels good, and it is actually more of who we are. I wanted to make a couple of comments, and uh, they talked a lot about the role of submission for, for the wife. And I'm going to talk about it next week. But really, the role of submission is for the husband as well. And there's a lot of submission for us to follow as men and husbands uh, in our marriages. So I want to touch on that next week. We really don't have much time. We've only got a few uh, few minutes here. And I want to be able to get to the questions. So we'll kind of uh, we'll go through that next week. So anyway, if I could have my wife uh, come up, Tracy, if you don't know her. See some new faces in the crowd. would like to just kind of work through uh, some of the questions that we have in the book. And I would just like to say is that, you know, this is our third week now, and we've been getting into this book. This is an excellent book. I mean, it doesn't read like an instruction book, but it's more bullet points. But I'll tell you what, the content in here is excellent. 
I mean, if we commit these verses to memory and we do, we, um, uh, we take a look at the applications in these books, it's going to transform our marriages. So I really want to encourage each of you to get the book and to kind of go through this on a, on a weekly basis and, um, as we go through this. So anyway, let's uh, go to our first question. It says, uh, what was the most thought-provoking concept you heard in this session? So what was the most, uh, what did you get out of this? What, what did it speak to you about? Um, that being selfish is, is really a big pull apart with people. You know, we're all caught up in our own ways and that submitting to each other. And actually, even if we don't like, you know, the Cheetos he likes, you know, we compromise, compromising, being selfish. To me, it spoke to me a lot about that. Okay, very good. What's going on in my life is pretty rough, and that helped. Yeah, very good. Thank you. And like I've said, when we're not governed by our relationship with God and His Word, then that's what it deteriorates to, right? I mean, it's just what I want to do. So we had someone else that was... Yeah, me. Okay, go ahead, Janice. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I've actually never heard it put that beautifully. The way the one pastor said that um, that God took the rib from Adam and put into Eve under his arm. So his wife should be by his side mm-hmm. and wrapped around. So our role in life and as a wife is to stand next to her husband no matter what and that plays a big role in submission and leadership that we were meant to be side by side and making decisions together right. so that it's beautifully said okay that's good out. thank you and that's that loving relationship so as husbands we're not we're not ruling harshly with our wives, okay? It's a loving relationship. And the one, um, uh, Barbara Rainey, I think it was, that said that, that, you know, there's going to be disagreements, but we can handle our disagreements in a biblical manner and where we're able to discuss it. Now, when push comes to shove, the husband, he does, he's the, the head of the household. He can make that decision. But also there could be consequences to that decision as well. And I've learned through the years that I need to listen to my spouse. And I didn't do that early in our marriage. And I'll tell you, um, there's consequences for that. And um, she's certainly um, somebody that my advocate that I uh, appreciate being able to talk to and talk things through. And she does speak a lot of truth, and I do want to listen to her. So, very good. Any more on this one? Jerry? Yeah, I, I thought the one where the gentleman was talking about uh, encouraging his wife and lifting her sails, he, he seemed to have a lot of passion for doing that, uh, encouraging his wife and and being very, uh, uh, again, encouraging to her, just trying to uplift her. And just the way he spoke about it, just that he really enjoyed that relationship that he had with his wife and and uh, not the norm, I would say, you know, that people don't try to do that directly, try to encourage your wife and look at the things that you can do for her and unselfishly. I thought that was great. Okay. Thanks, Jerry. Let's look at uh, question two. Uh, describe, 
Describe what is meant by the 50-50 marriage plan. Uh, why is this approach destined to fall? And uh, um, Dennis Rainey talked about the, the, uh, the gender blender, you know, and, and we see this in our culture today. This is a very prominent thing with, and again, um, obviously with all that's gone on in society and the way that men have treated women, it's sin. It's sinful. Okay, but let's. What, what is meant by the fifty-fifty marriage plan? Any, any comments on that? If you looked in the book when it was talking about that, I'm not sure what page it's on because I don't have it open to that right now. But there's a specific page that addresses that. Rich is going to thumb through and find it for me. I hope. I think it's right over here. There you go. Thank you. Thirty-three. I'm trusting whoever shouted that out, and thank you very much. But it talks about what that's like and how it can never work simply based on the fact that who's 50 is the right 50. My idea of what he should be doing for his 50% load might look drastically different than what he thinks he's already pulling 60. And I'm sitting there at my, you know what, we're at a 1.0, maybe a 0.5 for you today, where he's going, I scored a 10. I'm pulling 50 plus percent today. Well, the reality is, you know, there's that differences. So that's one reason that they point out in there why the 50-50 thing isn't going to work. And at any given time, there's going to be a very valid reason why you might be called upon to do way more than a 50%. Your spouse might be ill. You're, you, they've got heavy responsibilities where you need to come in and take over something that they normally do. Maybe they have to care for an aging parent. Maybe there's, you know, problems within your home with your own children that is specific to mom addressing or specific to dad addressing. And the other spouse is going to have to pick up that load. So just being mindful of that. So I don't know if that helped anybody else get going with <laughs> with any of that. Any other comments on that? Okay, let's go on to the next one. I'm going to go to uh, question four. Uh, the point was made that a man can make his wife, his wife's role easier or more difficult by the way he leads. Do you agree? What makes the difference between a man who is easy to follow as a husband and one who is not? So that's a loaded question there. Okay. That hand went up really fast. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> Um, I think, um, you know, the hand can't work without the foot, you know, like they say in church, you know, and I think that it takes two people to have a relationship and carry out their responsibilities. And if one isn't doing their part, the other person can't do theirs either. So um, it's to complete, you know, you need the two people. That's why you're married. Okay. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tamara. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> Any others? Yeah, I think the atmosphere is set between a marriage. Because I've noticed, like, on certain days, if I wake up in a horrible mood and my husband will be like, now my day is going to be horrible. <laughs> so I, I kind of think that if we start our day serving God and having a not necessarily a great mood, but a great attitude towards serving the Lord in our marriage. That that's what makes it really strong and prosperous. So mm-hmm. we have to watch how we act 
and what we say in the beginning of the day, okay. every day. Very good. Can I hear from any husbands here on how you can make uh, this easier for your wives? There we go. Step up to the plate. <laughs> Guys, I'm talking to you out there, all the men out here. <laughs> the word says that we have to lay down our life as Christ laid down his life for the church. That is your role. That's our role. It doesn't matter what she does. It's still our role. And the wife will be, it will be easier for the wife to submit to the husband who's laying down his life for his wife. So if the wife's a Christian and the man's a Christian, it should work. If you lay down your life for the wife, she can easily lay down her life for you and submit to you and be happy doing it because that's what God wants. And when the man's doing that, it's easier for the wife to do that. So I guess what I'm saying is she will see the things that you're giving up and she will return those things as blessings later on. You know what I mean? When you're doing what you need to do. And that's just where how it goes. And that's okay. how it works. Okay. Regardless of what she does, guys, lay down your life for your wife. Excellent, Glenn. Thank you. Any other men want to comment on that? <laughs> We're going to get Glenn a radio show here. You can call in. <laughs> he he makes obviously very valid points because it's way easier to follow when you've got a good leader, yeah, right? That's right. And and if you're going to boil it all away and get really real about it, it is easy to follow when you see that happening. Mm-hmm. It is, and so gentlemen, if your wife is not following readily, stop looking at her. Stop pointing the finger at her and look at yourself. Am I making it easy for her to submit and follow me? Consequently, on the flip side of that, Ouch. ladies, yeah. if your husband seems very tyrannical, it may be a sin issue for him, but it also may be that you are making it hard for him to lead. Because you're in competition with his leadership. And that's, that's a, a hard place for each of us as spouses to be and navigate. Because we want to put up a wall and think it's the other person. Because mm-hmm. that's what we do naturally. And the ladies that were in the study that we did last year about the gospel-centered life, we've warned ourselves, anything that we respond to and say, well, that's a natural response ought to scare us and stop us right there because if it's a natural response it's usually not a biblical response Mm -hmm. so take the time to look at yourself first so if your marriage is in conflict and you tend to point out what's wrong with the other spouse it's time to stop doing that and deal with self because you're not going to change them all you can do is pray for them and lay them before the cross of Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to make that change because you can't change them you can live a life that will lead to that, but you can't change them. Okay. Thank you. Any other thoughts on that? I will just tell you that with working with men, and one thing that we learned in men's fraternity is that men are, we are really born, generally we're passive. 
We're very passive in the way that we lead. And if you look at the defining a husband's role on page 35, it says a husband's privileged role is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. To do this, a husband has to know his wife, pay attention to her, nurture her, and cherish her. And it also says the husband is called to be the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. You cannot be passive and then live these verses out. And there's a lot of frustration on a wife's part when we're leading passively, okay? Because we're, we're just waiting, we're just reacting at that point, okay? There's not a game plan that we have that we're living out. We're not living out these verses, okay? We're waiting for problems to occur, and then when problems occur, then there's problems, right? So we've, we can't be passive. We can't just sit back and just kind of let life bump, we just kind of bump along the road. Okay, we have a mandate here in Scripture. And again, our primary relationship is with God, so His Word governs our life. This is, this is, these are all action that we're doing. Loving our wives, getting to know her, nurture her, cherish her. Okay, so we can't sit back and be passive. And I do know that there's a lot of conflict, and I know, uh, we've had conflict before when I was being passive, you know. Hey, I'm tired. I work hard, you know, I work all these hours and I'm trying to put food on the table and all, you know, you guys know the, <laughs> you know, the rhetoric, okay, and, but I wasn't leading the way that I should have and that caused a lot of difficulty, so that's certainly another way that that does happen, so, any other comments? Okay, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to go on to uh, number five here, and um, I don't think anyone else has let out at this point as well. But um, it says on the video, Mary uh, Casson said, submission doesn't violate my personality as a woman. As we are more conformed, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, we discover that uh, responsiveness as women feels good is actually more of who we are. Describe some of the influences or circumstances that can make submission difficult for a wife. Jackie. Okay, I think, um, you know, there's a lot that just kind of popped in my head. I'll try to make it make sense, but I think, you know, we all have a history, a family we were raised in, and, um, you know, I think as women, coming from broken homes, coming from Mm -hmm. homes without a father who led, Mm -hmm. um, then going and getting married, and then, um, you know, I think part of us, maybe, at least in me, is fear, fear to trust that will he do what's right, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and then also sometimes when there isn't someone leading, it does make it hard. Um, it really goes back to our, our relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Do we trust that he has us where he wants us and mm-hmm. where we are? He has us there to glorify him. So I think, you know, um, it makes it hard to submit when we have fear, when we fear that, sure. you know, our circumstances, how can this be good? How can mm-hmm. this turn out right? But the Lord has us exactly where we are, and if we mm-hmm. trust in him, I think um, he will work it all out for our good. You know, I think we have to deny ourselves and how we feel, mm-hmm. you know, because often how we feel 
can lead us the wrong way. Like you said, natural inclination. You know, we don't, we need to obey the Lord and submit whether we feel like it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's, um, it's difficult no matter what kind of relationship you're in. It's, we all, I think, naturally go against, our, our natural inclination is to do the opposite of what we should. Mm-hmm. So, very good. Well, thank you. Well, the uh, the other classes have let off, so we're going to have to uh, break for right now. But I want to pick this submission up back next week for for the husbands and for the wives, because I really believe that we have a lot of wrong thinking regarding submission and what that looks like and why we should do it. So uh, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more next week. Tamara, did you have something? Or? This is the last week. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the last I was week. About You're right. to whisper that to him. Yeah. This is the way. I will tell you this: that um, I was just kind of, and I'm just going to take just a, another minute here. But I, I wanted to uh, take a look at on page 44. This is excellent. It talks about what is biblical submission by Bunny Wilson. It says biblically submission means to yield to people precepts and principles that have been placed in our lives by God as an authority. Uh, women do not have to submit to anything abusive or immoral. Okay, so that's where, you know, submission were to stop. Certainly you would need to get some counsel. I'm not going to define what abusive is right now. But look at the fourth one. I really like this one. It says, submission is powerful because it operates on pure faith. The act of submitting says, I believe that God sees all, hears all, knows all, and he will intervene on your behalf. And when it says to submit to your husbands, it's submitting as unto the Lord. So it's an obedience to God. But it is trusting in Him that He is going to work this out for your benefit and for your protection. A couple other things I just wanted to get to. Um, the second one says, a, a wife cannot say, I don't have to submit to your final authority if you don't love me as much as Christ loved the church. She yields to her husband's final decision because that's God, what God teaches. But look at this next one. It says, being submissive can help a husband grow spiritually. My husband said one day on a in, radio interview, when Bunny decided to c- become submissive, it put the fear of God in my heart because I knew I was no longer contending with her I was dealing directly with God. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> and when a wife submits to her husband, it is pure trust in God. And God sees that. That's worshiping him. That's showing God's worth in the way that you submit to your husbands. Even when they make bonehead decisions, they maybe treat you harshly. God is still at work. And your husband will see this. He'll see this soft spirit of submission. And what turns away wrath? A soft answer, doesn't it? And so I just want to, um, I just want you women, men and women both to read that because I think it's excellent. It is a matter of trusting in God when you submit to your husband and that he is in complete control. And Jackie, what you are saying as well. So with that, I wish we had next week to go into, uh, uh, session four, but we don't. We'll be, uh, we'll continue that in July. So thank you very much for your, uh, your patience and your attention today. Thank you.